the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Minute Market Updates. This is Business 1440. KYCR, Golden Valley, a service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Rich Thomason in Washington. Protesters hit the streets of a number of cities last night, outraged by the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. In Kenosha itself, an uneasy calm has returned to the streets with the National Guard deployed across the city. The 17-year-old Illinois teen who's accused of fatally shooting two people during riots in Kenosha continues to be held in Illinois pending extradition to face charges in Wisconsin. President Trump about to hit the road. He'll be visiting areas of Texas and Louisiana that have been devastated by Hurricane Laura. The powerful storm blamed for 14 deaths could be weeks before power is fully restored. The hurricane left many stranded in their homes. The National Guard has been helping to rescue those individuals. This is SRN News. Here are the facts. Your business needs leads and sales. There are potential customers online right now looking for what you do. Will they find you or your competitor? You need Salem Surround. Having to do your own digital marketing while trying to manage your business, well, there's just not enough time in the day. You need Salem Surround. You're doing all you can to market your business, but are you sure you have the right strategy or seeing a great return on investment? You need Salem Surround. The marketing team here at Salem Surround is ready to help your business now. We'll design a plan that targets potential customers with proven marketing strategies, using everything in our toolkit to work for you. Digital, audio, mobile, even audience-engaging contests and promotions. Contact Salem Surround for a free evaluation of your marketing plan and see how we can help place your advertising message in front of today's consumers. Learn more at surroundmsp.com. Surroundmsp.com. Connecting you with new customers. Have you written a book? You can become a published author with Dorrance Publishing, the nation's oldest publishing services company. Countless authors have trusted Dorrance for nearly a 100 years to bring their book to the market. Our professional team will edit your text, design your book pages, and create an appealing, eye-catching custom cover. Plus, our authors benefit from a custom book promotion marketing campaign that makes your book available where people buy books, like Amazon and brick-and-mortar bookstores. So make this free call right now to claim your your free author's guide to publishing. Don't wait another day. Take one step closer to realizing your dream of becoming a published author and seeing your name in print. You've already written a book, so the next thing to do is make this free call right now to Dorn's Publishing and get your free guide to publishing. Call right now. 800-482-8399. 800-482-8399. That's 800 482 8399. The Wall Street Business Network is on the air. We're not looking at noise. This thing that we live in starves people. Don't hit me with them negative waves so early in the morning. It's the King Banyan Show. Life in capitalism always ends in billionaires. It's true. It's true. As an educator and former legislator, Professor Banyan steps out of the classroom and onto the airwaves to break down the local and national economic news that matters to you. No one ever makes a billion dollars. You take a billion dollars. Why don't you say something righteous and hopeful for a change? The government is the public, and the public decides what is good for itself. Why don't you dig how beautiful it is out here? It's the King Banyan Show on Business 1440. Now go to that voodoo that you do. Here's King Banyan. Welcome back, King Banyan Show. This is 1440, second hour today. I can't tell what it's going to do outside. I, I, I've made jokes about this office. I think I finally got through to the new, we've got a new vice president here who, who's uh, 
remit includes uh, taking care of our facilities. Um, she has other tasks as well. And I made fun of the fact that, uh, well, I think this is one of the weeks why it was gone. My office temperature went from 74 to 82 while I was on the air. Because my windows face east, and in the morning, if I leave the shades open, as I had that morning, I can just bake myself in here. And I did then. So um, They've been closed pretty much since that morning, and therefore I don't see what's outside. I face right onto the Mississippi River, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful uh, view of a park across the river and some older homes from here in St. Cloud. It's, it's, it's terrific. Uh, but um, they finally, I, I'm happy to report, the air conditioning has been left on for the entire weekend, it seems, because it's a, it's a delightful 75 in my office right now. They, my folks are taking very good care of me. Thank, thank you to our, our facilities folks here. They, they actually, if you think about trying to run uh, any business during, the, the, during a pandemic, but particularly one the size of this institution, the people that manage our, our facilities have been just working their 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 backsides off for for months trying to get us ready and um you know my hat's off off to them okay while we're all sitting around thinking how am i going to teach they're figuring out well how how am i going to have a room in which they can teach and frankly that's that's a lot harder than i think most of us most of us can can understand i've got i've had the pleasure of working with some people who've made that who've made it easier for me to see what it takes. There's, in fact, uh, sitting on a table here, this is what's happening with supply chains. Um, I've got headsets for people who are going to be teaching remotely. The headsets for Monday's classes arrived in my office at 3.30 yesterday, Friday afternoon. That's, and so we have to figure out how to get them out to make sure people are able to get their classes prepared and able to deliver their their content um, come Monday morning. We have a plan. We're 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 good to go. But it's um, <laughs> uh, but it, it it is part of that challenge. Um, so I'm trying to remember what model I was going to talk about in, in answer to Jack's question. Um, the oh yes, the Fed dot plot. Why does that thing matter so much to the market? It's because the the Fed has told you that it matters. That the Fed is trying is using the dot plot to give you information. And this is part of the theme of this hour. Okay, so when we put this show up at TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com in the podcast, what we do we put a title on it, and I usually will before the end of the show send the two titles down to Wyatt and then. Wyatt will upload them with those titles. Um, it sounds like we might have to do it a little differently this week because of, because of some some computer issues. But generally speaking, we we that's that's how we do it. Um, this mo- this one is about how do we discover the price? And we st- I set it up in the end of the last hour when I started to talk about supply and demand. Okay. Um, there was this lovely, lovely post by um, a person who I'm happy to report to as a friend, uh, uh, Tim Taylor. Um, he is an economist. He's office down at McAllister, but he actually works for the American Economic Association as the editor of the Journal of Economic Perspectives. If there was one journal I would tell my listeners to read that's a professional economics journal that I would tell them if you have a 12th grade education you can read this journal and get something from it. Will you get every nuance? Probably not. I'm getting material from it, and I've spent a lifetime studying economics. There are things in it that I don't know. There are insights that, that I read and go, oh, that's really interesting. Um, it's, not, it's not regurgitating anything to me. But the journal focuses on giving us, 
giving uh, a sense of what's happening in economics that's accessible to a to a broad swath of society. It's part of the American Economic Association, and they make their they make this journal available to the general public. Tim posted on Tuesday um, uh, about supply and demand. Um, and it's titled Supply and Demand, The Scissors, Banana, and the Parrot. Now, the parrot is the old joke, right? If I want to make an economist, I take a parrot and I teach the parrot to say two words, supply, demand. And, and then, and I'm not going to do a parrot voice imitation. Um, because uh, I don't want to be cons- I don't want to be considered a speciesist. Um, I, you know, if you teach one to say supply and demand, then you can you've got an economist, and that's just like an old joke. You know, I've never been a particularly fond of that joke. I think it does take more than that, but certainly we spend time teaching it. But again, it's a model. But Tim, uh, Professor Taylor makes this point that I think is valuable in talking about about how we teach it. We typically will will draw the graph on, on the board. And if you if you're thinking about it just in your mind, you just think about drawing a, a horizontal and vertical axis. I'm I'm closing my eyes while I say this, so maybe this works for you too. Because this is how I visualize. I'm going to close my eyes, I'm going to see the vertical axis, I'm going to see the horizontal axis. And then in that in that upper right quadrant, okay, which is the only one we typically will look at, so both axes are in their positive pieces, okay, because we typically don't have negative prices and we almost can't have negative quantities. Uh, we're going to draw, we're going to draw um, an X, let's say, or two curves, two two lines that intersect. All right, if you have those in your head. You can mark the downward sloping one D for demand. You can mark the upward sloping one S for supply. Over the next few weeks, hundreds, maybe even thousands of rooms, classrooms across this country and across the world will have that graph drawn for a group of students that are studying economics in some form. Maybe it's the first course, the principles. Maybe it's intermediate theory. Maybe it's a, an applied, like a managerial economics course. Could even be my money, my, my money and banking course where I teach money supply and money demand. Um, it could be that. But that supply and demand is always there. And from those, we, we come to something called price. And we say, if you take, if you can conjure up again, if you opened your eyes and forgot your, forgot your graph, go ahead and close them again and, and imagine it again, and look at the point where your two lines intersect, and then trace that over to the vertical axis. The vertical axis represents the price. The horizontal axis represents the quantity. And some sharpie on Twitter is probably going to ask me, why is quantity on the horizontal axis when it's supposed to be the dependent variable? Doesn't that go on the vertical axis? I'll answer that off air. <clears throat> takes me too far away from the point I'm trying to make. It's a fun question. There's a, there's a fun answer. It's the intersection. How many times do we see people, though, contend that the price is being set by the monopolist, and the, and the monopolist can charge whatever the heck she or he wants. It's not true. A monopolist doesn't have a supply curve. They can choose to supply whatever they wish, but they face a demand curve, and their demand curve slopes downward, meaning that when people see this is the model, the model is people are choosing to meet their wants and needs by choosing different possible things that they can buy, goods and services, at a set of alternative prices. And all other things equal, magic words, all other things equal, something that has a lower price is likely to have more of it demanded by purchasers, and something with a higher price is likely to have less of it demanded by purchasers. Again, all other things equal. If you think Coke and Pepsi are the exact same product, but one sells for half the other one, you're going to drink the one that's half price. 
If one's half price and I see you continue to buy the higher price one, I'm going to assume that you see those as being different products and that you're not willing to substitute to the lower price good. But I'll bet if it was one-tenth the price, some people who wouldn't make the substitution at 50% off will make the substitution at 90% off. That's a model. That's not. I mean, I know people think of models as being something that we write down in mathematics. And yes, economists spend a lot of time writing things down in mathematics. But the model is just a way of organizing the thoughts in your head. Right? So that what I just had you do over the last seven minutes or so is to use, to use that, use, uh, if, you, if you would, to close your eyes, draw the lines, look back over the price, and here's, here's the lesson to learn that, that Tim reminds us was taught to us by Alfred Marshall 130 years ago. It's not demand that turns the price. It's not supply that turns the price. It's the intersection of those two. And the way Mar- Marshall's metaphor this, for this is, it's like asking which arm of a pair of scissors cuts a piece of paper. The answer is both of them. Right? It's not just supply. It's not just demand. Both of them determine what the price is. Both of them do. And that's and 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 that means that when my student says, "Well, where do I find the demand curve?" I said, "In your head, just like we did, because I have them do this very same thing. I don't draw it on the board for like about twenty to thirty minutes. I have them imagine it in their head, and then I say, and then sometimes I used to actually have the student go up and draw what they saw in their head." and see how close they were to what they thought. If they read ahead in the book, they would probably know what, what they should have had. But for those that don't, for those that I sense maybe don't quite have, maybe weren't reading ahead, I want to see what they had in their head. So I have them draw it on the board. But that's what a model is. The model is something in your head that you're using to organize your thoughts. And this is how we think about it. Now, is there actually a pair of scissors? No, there isn't. I'll tell you what there actually is right after this. You're listening to a King Bangy show on Business 1440. Cool voiceover. Zany sound effect. We were going to write something flashy about streaming us at radio.com. But considering how easy it is to do, we'll keep it simple, too. Listen to Business 1440 at radio.com. If your house needs new windows, you may be justifiably concerned about the upcoming parade of three-hour window presentations. High pressure, high priced, and all say they have the only window in the world that is right for you. Well, this year, do the opposite. I'm Ryan with my three quotes, the one-of-a-kind free service that's the exact opposite of the typical window-buying experience. First of all, I'm respectful of everyone's time. In less than an hour at your house, I'll have all the info I need to email you installed quotes on any window brand from multiple local contractors. Secondly, we find the best options based on your needs in your house. Whether it's Marvin, Anderson, or local vinyl brands, I know where to get you the best prices and quality. Thirdly, zero pressure, guaranteed. You move at your pace, and I'm always available to provide more options or meet you at showrooms until you're confident moving forward. When that time comes, I'll write up the order and do a walkthrough inspection when it's done. And did I mention I have the same free process for siding and roofing? Visit my 3 online to set up a free appointment. That's the number three, my 3 quotes. Audiences everywhere are saying Uncle Tom is a must-see movie. Uncle Tom was amazing, simply brilliant. Uncle Tom's the finest, most thought-provoking documentary I've ever seen. Oh my God, what an amazing movie. Every American needs to watch your film. It doesn't matter if you're left, right, or center. It's a great movie. It's just absolutely wonderful. An eye-opening masterpiece of the real history of America. I am blown away breathtaking. I sat here with tears rolling down my face through most of this movie. Thank you so very, very much for doing this. Uncle Tom is one of the most important documentaries of our time. I highly recommend everyone get it. I wish I could figure out a way to get everybody to watch it. Get your copy today at UncleTom.com. Use promo code Minneapolis to save 20%. I think that you may save America with this movie. UncleTom.com. 
Are you a member of our rewards program? Yeah, I had the card here somewhere. We've all been there, rustling around for that rewards card you can't seem to find. At Business 1440, we simplify the process. All of the perks, none of the hassle. It's the Business VIP Fan Club, where you'll get early access to tickets for our events, exclusive content, prizes, and more. Sign up at TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com. Get an $8,025 high-efficiency gas furnace for just $4,012 through this special offer from Blue Ox Heating and Air in this station. There's just one half-price furnace. Go to this station's website, click on the More tab, then Half-Price Offers, or call the station now. Do you know what this song is? Do they actually give you the title? <laughs> Great. It's it's interesting <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Well, uh, I listened to the tubes a lot when I was uh, in college. Six five one two eight nine four four seven seven. The number to call here on the King Banyan Show on Business fourteen forty six five one two eight nine four four seven seven. A little bit of a teaching day today, getting ready for first day of classes here at, at SESU and at uh, all of the Minnesota State campuses on Monday. Um, we are we are um, plugging in uh, to a number of uh, uh, themes that uh, that I typically want to run through in in talking about talking about uh, models. Okay, so this whole thing starts. Let me recap the entire show up to here. This all started with a listener who asked me a question about purchase about something called the Purchasing Managers Index. It's an indicator that is used in almost the entire developed world and in some parts of even the developing world as a way to get a get a finger on the pulse of what's happening in factories around your around your country. It's been expanded to actually also look at uh, services by talking to purchasing managers. And asking them what's happening because we the model in the head of the people that made that created this, the Institute for Supply Management, which was the institute for the people that institute for a professional organization for purchasing managers. And so you're a member of this organization, you probably pay dues, you've certainly registered, so they reach out to their entire membership list and ask them a set of questions. And the set of questions they're asking um, is simply uh, is simply a, a model that says, it, it, the question says, tell me if your business is doing better but doing worse or about the same. Across things like production, delivery times, new orders, etc. And they generate a number out of that and we report that number and traders on Wall Street spend in bated breath on it. Right? And there's sort of this usual code that says, if the number's over 50, the, okay, then businesses are in expansion. If it's below 50, they're in, they're in contraction or recession. As I tried to point out, that model works most of the time. It just doesn't happen to work terribly well when, one quor- when your first quarter decline was down 30%. If you fell by 30%, a 50% increase is going to look like an increase, and you're going to report that as an increase. But it doesn't mean you're back to where you were before. You're a fair bit away. I then expanded that out to talk about a variety of other models out there that the economists use. And in macro, which is the field I was trained in, I'm not trained. I mean, I learned microeconomics. You can't graduate from with a doctorate. You can't even go to write your dissertation unless you can pass an exam on microeconomic theory. Okay, so I did that. I have not forgotten all of it. Some of it, but not all of it. Um, the... We use models to illustrate things like unemployment, like inflation, like GDP growth, investment decisions, and so on. Now, I will say, I will say about that is I know that there's simplifications, and I say I use them in no small part for teaching because what the model does is is basically narrow the window. Why do I do that? Because the most common the most common mistake made by students and this isn't my this isn't my students who just simply are like i just need to get through this class cuz i want to i want to i want to go 
sell real estate and I need a I need to get a degree in order to sell real estate. Okay. Fine. Well I know you're gonna forget everything I told you six six weeks after you leave the course. All right, no big deal. But for my good students who are really trying to grapple with the concepts in the class, here's the most common mistake they made they make. And I tell them that's a great mistake to make because it reminds you of what we're doing. The mistake they make is what about? And then they add something about some external influence that could change the answer you have here. You'll remember in the previous segment, I used, used words and I called them magic words, all other things being equal. Oftentimes you hear them expressed in Latin because, of course, we all want to show off that we know Latin. And the Latin words are ceteris paribus, or if you speak church Latin, ceteris paribus. Um, but ceteris paribus just means all other things equal, so why not speak English since that's the language that we're saying everything else in? Um, it's, not, it's, not like we're, it's not like we're teaching economics to Caesar. So I, I wanted, you know, so I said that. Why? Because that's what I try to teach my students is ceteris paribus are magic words because they force you to, to narrow your folk down into this artificial world that the model creates. In the artificial world the model creates, prices are given to you by the scissors, the intersection of supply and demand, both of which act in order to produce a price. The scissors is a metaphor for the actual process of finding prices. And this is important for me because, because right now, because I was reading a piece a few weeks ago, um, I'm, I regularly follow the uh, writings of the, uh, of the Bonson group, David Bonson, who writes in... Uh, at, is, is, I think, on the board of the National Re- Review Institute... Uh, I, I, and, and, but he runs a, he, he has a weekly, uh, podcast and a, and, and a newsletter called the Dividend Cafe. His model of how the world works is that dividends tell me how a company is doing. And I'm not going to explain it to you. If you go to the bonsongroup.com, you can look at, look this guy up. I'm not recommending him. I'm not saying he's great. I'm not saying he's awful. I'm not going to make. I'm not going to rip the guy. I'm not going to. I'm not going to throw praise after praise on this guy. But, but, I sense he has a basic understanding of the following. What is the process by which we discover prices in a market economy? It's not. It's not by looking in the in in the uh, kitchen utensil drawer for the scissors. And it's not. Uh, it's not the story that Tim Taylor tells about the, uh, the from Alfred Marshall about the banana. Okay, why are bananas so cheap? Right? Have you ever thought about that? Why are bananas so cheap? Why is a pencil so cheap? And I mean, for those of you that know the eye pencil story, you can you can talk about that. Eye pencil's a great story. Why is a pencil so cheap? But I want I'm not talking about that particular piece of it right now. I'm talking about the process of wit by which we discover what the price of something is. Right? How does how does someone discover price? And the answer is someone probably doesn't or does so very, very, very imperfectly. The brilliance of Friedrich Hayek was to explain that process in a short essay back in nineteen forty five, which I, I contend, you know, one of the five most important essays of the twentieth century. I'll I'll tweet it to you at the break. Okay. The use of prices in society is is uh, is is a very important concept, and it's this: prices are not something that's given out. the The model that one person used back well before Hayek, uh, a, a marginalist named Leon Walras, was to imagine there being an, an auctioneer calling out prices every time. I taught this in my principal's class, imagining the auctioneer and then watching the watching who brings things to the marketplace. Well, that's the auctioneer is a is a handy little a handy little teaching tool, a little demonstration or a metaphor if you wish for how prices gets called, but 
But it imagines then that there's someone actually calling out the price. Have you been to a farmer's market lately? I find during this pandemic, I, I'm going regularly to a farmer's market to look for, look for vegetables, in part to help those farmers out, in, fact, in part because I want to shop outdoors. I think that's safer. I'm physically distant but socially around people to pick up my, that comment made earlier. And, and we sort of work out one by one going up to the farmer's table, picking out what we want, purchasing and moving on. We don't visit as much as we did before. But my wife always wonders, why do I do a full circle first before I, go, before I come back around? It's like, I learned that in the flea market business. I used to sell goods at flea markets for my father. Swap meats, as some people call them. And it was, I need to know what the prices are around the place, and then I'm going to go and look at the best stuff that's out there. If it's the lowest price, I'm going to buy it. If it's the best stuff but not at the lowest price, I'm going to dicker a little bit. I'm going to try to try to bargain and say, hey, you know, uh, that table over there has eggplant at a dollar less than you do. Your eggplant's better looking. How about we split the difference? Could I get that eggplant for 50 cents less? Yeah, I don't think they like me at the flea, at, 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 at the farmer's market. My wife hates this behavior. But there's a process, and that process is called price discovery. And what happens is, in the process of me transacting with other people and you transacting with other people, the market becomes aware of generally what the price is for a good. And what Hayek observed was prices were in fact a byproduct of exchange. They weren't the object of the exchange. They were a byproduct. They're simply a ratio at which we trade one thing for another. In a monetary economy, one of the things involved in the trade is currency, cash, or a check, a bank deposit. But that's but that's what that's what's happening. It's an exchange of one thing for another. And as people become aware that around them, this is the rate at which these things are exchanging, in order to get more of the market, in order to participate in the market, you can't get too far away from that price. So that process of discovery is the means by which we discover prices for goods and services. That's why this hour of the podcast will be, will be markets in the process of discovery. Because that's what markets produce. It's not a scissors. It's not an auctioneer. It's millions of little people, millions of little us in our little corners. Each bring your own little bit of information into the market about what those could trade for, what makes sense for me to trade them for. And collectively, those prices come together and provide information to the market to say, generally, Eggplant costs three dollars, not four. We'll be back after this. You're listening to the King Banyan Show on Business 1440. For more than 20 years, investigative filmmaker Tim Mahoney has traveled across the globe in search of patterns of evidence to support some of the Old Testament's most miraculous events. Now, with the Red Sea Miracle Part 2, Journey to Egypt and beyond as Tim interviews some of the world's foremost experts to discover the truth. Is there evidence of how and where the host of Israelites could have traveled as recorded in the Bible? Is there evidence of the Egyptian army's demise in the Red Sea? If you've seen the first part of this investigation of the Red Sea miracle, you won't want to miss the continuation. The results of his pursuits are faith-affirming and fascinating. You must see Patterns of Evidence, the Red Sea Miracle Part 2. To see this powerful documentary and others in the series, go to SalemNow.com and use the promo code MINNEAPOLIS for 20% off. That's SalemNow.com and promo code MINNEAPOLIS to save 20% on Patterns of Evidence, the Red Sea Miracle Part 2. SalemNow.com, promo code MINNEAPOLIS. Hi, PJ here from PJ's Appliance Outlet. Are you in need of a new washer and dryer, a new stove, dishwasher, or refrigerator? Do you prefer top brands like LG, Frigidaire, Whirlpool? Are you dragging your feet due to the cost and feeling like more often than not you'd be overpaying for these appliances? Well, here at PJ's, we've solved that problem for you. Our clients, many of whom are listeners to this station as well, have already saved hundreds 
sometimes thousands of dollars by shopping at PJ's Appliance Outlet. Our everyday standard pricing is 40 to 70% less than the average appliance store. We're not talking the inflated MSRP pricing. We're talking real, everyday pricing. So before you purchase an appliance, it's well worth a quick visit to our store to see what we have in stock and how much money we can save you. At PJ's, we proudly offer basic and extended warranty options, along with professional appliance delivery and removal services. Go to PJsApplianceOutlet.com. That's PJsApplianceOutlet.com, where every deal is a steal. I'm on my third child and also on my third vehicle at Invergrove Hyundai. I'm Christelle from Mendota Heights. Did my research on high-rated vehicle, good value, and that brought me right to Hyundai. So now I'm on my third and also my third child, uh, which brought up the need to upgrade the vehicle again. So now I'm in the Santa Fe, and Hyundai brings a lot of features to the table for not a lot of money. And considering I'm taking my kids in the vehicle, it's also a really highly rated vehicle as far as safety. So Invergrove Hyundai was able to work out just a great deal. The staff and the salespeople really did uh, close the deal for me because everyone has been just a joy to deal with. Through September 8th, get 0% financing for up to 72 months plus no payments for 90 days on Tucson and Santa Fe. Every new Hyundai comes with America's best warranty, 10-year, 100,000-mile limited powertrain, and Hyundai Assurance. Stop into Invergrove Hyundai or shop online at InvergroveHyundai.com. Welcome back, King Banyan Show. This is 1440. I often tell people, um, I have the radio program because I don't have a classroom, um, which wasn't true. I did radio um, I did radio for the first six years while I was still teaching, although I was a department chair for pretty much that entire time. And... And therefore, I only taught about half the normal schedule that uh, our faculty teach because I was had some administrative duties. Um, and when we started here with uh, Salem back in 2004. Um, and, but since 2010, I've only taught probably the equivalent of one and a half years of the last decade. Um, and this is my substitute. So... I, I want to thank everyone who's been chiming in on, on Twitter at Pound KBRS. Um, you, you, it stokes me to think that uh, you're listening and getting something from this right now. And, 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 find it, and, and, and Jack, I promise you, as soon as the show's over, I'll tweet you the answer of why, those, why quantity and price are on the axes they're on. I'll, I, you have my word. Um, Jack also mentions the Phillips curve, and it makes me it makes me make this point, okay? Because we do talk about this a fair amount, and it goes, you know, get me back to talking about the dot plot too. So maybe we'll transition away from from that simple point because I don't want to do I want I don't want to do a, a full hour just doing a principles lecture for you. But let me talk about the Phillips curve for a second. There has been a battle, and I I think it's fair to call it that. I don't think I'm being I don't think I'm being melodramatic in saying uh, it's a battle between um, some economists who believe we should teach economic theory to start and those that want to jump right to, hey, let's use data, data analytic tools to look for regular relationships and then figure out from that what kind of economy we have. Now, I still, and, and for me, this is sort of the, the question of um, the old story of the people trying to figure out, um, figure out what an elephant is by being blindfolded and each going to, up to the elephant and at some point touching different parts of the elephant and making a conclusion about what the entire elephant looks like. Okay, I, I was trained to not use data to go from data to theory. I was trained to go from theory to data. And I think there is an argument right now going on within the economics profession where some folks just are, and I think early signs of this would have been uh, some of what uh, Steve Levitt and the Freakonomics people have, 
and Stephen Dubner and the Freakonomic phenomenon um, have done because people have taken data that, uh, you know, taken data sets. And in, in Levitt's phrases, I found a data set and I said, what kind of question could this answer for me? Um, whereas I want to say, well, what kind of questions should we, should we ask and what kind of answers might we develop? And then say, okay, what data would I need if I wanted to be able to answer that question? And this is where the humility that got mentioned to me gets mentioned uh, I, by a couple folks um, I, I, that I see uh, from, um, I think from Don and from others, um, comes in. I have a number of theories about how I think the economy operates for which I can't find a data set that cleanly answers whether or not my theory, whether or not my theory is supported by data in the real world. I can't find the data. That data doesn't exist or that data is collected in too murky a way. It doesn't allow me to do a clean test or statistical techniques will not work on that data. There are lots of reasons why I would have a theory for which I'm not able to bring data to bear. That doesn't mean the theory's wrong. It means I don't have a lot of supporting evidence for that theory. That's all it means. On the other hand, on the other hand, I have people out there. I mean, there's there's good good people, uh, people I admire, people who've won the Nobel Prize, people who won the John Bates Clark Medal, which is sort of the the under forty version of the Nobel Prize, um, who have relied largely on doing big data studies. Uh, um, Raj Chetty, for one, who spoke up here, and, and, and I admire Raj's work. I think it's great work. Um, but a lot of the, but he's now taking over teaching principles of economics. Uh, he's trying to substitute for a principles of economics course, a course where they just do data analytics on economic data, and say what we can we what stories about the economy would we develop from this, from this data analytics work. And I'm like, yeah, but you. You don't know where to look. You don't know what to study. They don't know what it is, you know. Rather than asking what question could this data answer, I want to ask what questions can this answer. So, to the dot plot. The Fed dot plot, for those of you who are like, what is that? What is he talking about? The Federal Reserve, every, three, every, every other meeting, so this comes out to four times a year, Okay, four times a year they will come out with a they will come out with um, a forecast that says what do I think inflation will be? What do I think unemployment will be? What do I think real GDP growth will be? And what do I think the Fed funds rate will be next year, or the year after? Now the Fed itself has told you. We're giving you this information to help you form expectations about Fed policy. And my skepticism of that is if I know if I know that you are being you are looking at the data to find out something about me, about what I'm going to do, then what I'm going to say is not just what I think is going to happen, but it's also going to be a function of what I want you to think is going to happen. Okay. There's something in, there's something that was developed by Charles Goodhart, uh, a member of the Bank of England at one time. Uh, I believe he was on, he, I believe he was on their board. Maybe he was their chief economist. I can't quite remember right now, but Charles Goodhart, who said, who said basically anything one targets for the purpose of determining policy becomes useless as a target. Why? Because people react to that, and they change their behavior toward that target because you've announced that's what you're using. Once they figure it out, it becomes fairly useless as a, as a, as a target. So I'll give you an example from my own world. I have to worry... As a dean, I have to worry about how many students are in my classes because I have to make sure I have enough students paying tuition to cover the cost of running the class. 
Now, my bosses aren't looking at the at pay rates or anything like that. So what they look at is whether, suppose they tell me what I'm looking at is to see whether or not your classes are 80 or 85% full. Well, that's pretty easy for me to manipulate. All I have to do is change the number of seats in the denominator so that I can make the, the ratio of the number of seats taken to the number of seats in the room equal to 0.8 or 0.85. I can change that anytime I want. That's, that's a fairly useless measure. Yet fill rates, there are, there are um, academic consulting practices out there that are telling presidents and provosts and finance directors to look at it, look at your fill rates, and and if you got a class, if you got a class that regularly has a fill rate un- under sixty percent, you should examine whether that class is popular enough that it should be continued, or whether that faculty member should be assigned to something else, or perhaps maybe you have too many faculty. Well, that's easy to fix. All I need to do is put them in a smaller room. Right. So if you target fill rates, fill rates are, are so fill rates can be manipulated. We've talked about this, right? In terms of in terms of the uh, jobs report, there are numbers that are fairly that have a lot of noise that we can, and some of those things we can manipulate by how we sample the information. So, point here is. Once we said the dot plot is a way in which we're going to communicate with you the future of policy, in my mind, Goodhart's Law says, then the people who are putting numbers on the dot plot, the Federal Reserve Bank presidents and the governors, are not necessarily giving you a forecast of what they really think is going to happen, but rather they're giving you a, they're giving you a number to make you think what they think is going to happen. It's then used as an element of persuasion rather than an element of estimation. And when it becomes that, it's less useful to you. That's the beauty of prices. Prices, particularly in an economy where you've got many buyers and many sellers, are communicating an average or a collection, a survey, the mean of a survey, in which then we realize, hmm, that number isn't controlled by any one person. It's not the night watchman. It's millions of people doing it, and that's what makes a price much better as a piece of information to discover in an economy than a Fed dot plot. We'll be back after this. You're listening to The King Banyan Show on Business 1440. Business 1440 is KYCR Golden Valley. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Christian Faith Publishing helps thousands of authors just like you publish their books with a company dedicated to strong Christian values. To help you get started, we want to send you our free author submission kit. Christian Faith Publishing reviews every book submitted to us. And if your book is approved, we'll edit, design, print, and distribute your book online and in bookstores everywhere. Imagine seeing your book in specialty Christian bookstores, Amazon, iTunes, Barnes & Noble, and many others. It could happen. And it all starts with one call to Christian Faith Publishing at 800-566-1012 for your free author submission kit. If you have a novel, children's book, poetry, biography, or any inspirational work you've written, we can help you get it published today. Shouldn't you work with a publisher who shares your Christian values of integrity and honesty? You can get your book published. So call for your free author submission kit right now. Call 800-566-1012. That's 800-566-1012. 800-566-1012. Every day. The men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today, or wherever our country needs us tomorrow. We always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. 
With everything that's been changing, one thing that won't change is American Pressure's commitment to you, our customers. Customer service, quality product, and family values. That's what we have to offer, and we're appreciative of any business you offer us. From disinfectants to pressure washers, we are your source. Get a $3,900 Konica Minolta copier for your business for just $19.50 through this special offer from Tops and this station. There's only one half-price copier. Go to the station's website, click on the More tab, then Half-Price Offers, or call the station now. Limitless access to business and investment strategy. Listen to Business 1440 with our free app, your smart speaker, or with iHeart, TuneIn, and Radio.com. We live in the Twin Cities and invest worldwide. Welcome back, King Bang Show. Business fourteen forty. I'm just going to go quickly because I've got like a bunch of questions in here that I in the Twitter feed at pound KBRS. Thank you so much. I love this stuff coming in right now. Um, let me. Um, yeah, Don's correct in saying, you know, assume a frictionless surface, a body is falling in a vacuum. Those types of models in physics. That's that's pretty similar to what what we've been talking about today. Models have assumptions that force you to focus down. Lynn asked about uh, supply and demand curve. I kept wanting to ask how the supply and demand curve model is affected for regulated utility. Wrong question. Not not necessarily, Lynn. Let me let, just just to be just private channel to this this particular point. A regulated utility doesn't have a supply curve. It has a price that it wants to charge that it it figures out through trial and error. Okay, a lovely process that uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Walra, I mentioned him before with the auctioneer, he referred to this process, and he understood he understood the auctioneer was a fiction, right? And he understood that there was a price discovery process, and he had this wonderful word, which I don't think I don't think there's an an English word that works in this case, but the French word is tâtonnement, and tâtonnement basically means the process of feeling your way toward the right price you're iterating toward a proper solution of course it's you're going toward demand curve that can suddenly change in one direction or another so here you are trying to get your way to the price that's a mac that's the that's the that's the best for you and then the darn curve changes on you because of some external shock and now you got to do it again right and it's kind of frustrating and that's that's for sure the difference is with a regulated utility is the regulator if if you allowed if you allowed the regulated utility to just do whatever it wanted it would charge too high a price and sell too little of the good that that they produce or service they produce so a an elect, a, a, a power company will sell too little electricity at too high a price if it's if it just chooses what it wants to do relative to what would be Best for society, selling you selling you energy at at, a, at the at that last unit being the price that it, that it costs you to make it. So what the regulator does is try to push you to make more and make more to push the price down to allow more people to purchase the good. Both the regulator and the utility face a demand curve, but neither of them have a supply curve. But the, the lack of the supply curve is a function of it being a monopoly, not a function of it being regulated. So, so that's a short answer to that. Um, that's a short answer to that question. And I didn't finish my point on the Phillips curve, so let me say this. The Phillips curve might be the very first example where, because it was in the very beginning of where we had the resources what we had what was needed to do a statistical analysis of of relationships where you had somebody um, named Phillips who took wage and unemployment data, plotted them on a graph, fit a regression line, and said, hey, look, there's this negative relationship, and it looks pretty stable. And then, after he draws it and publishes it in a paper that gets picked up by a journal, by an economic professional economics journal, other people start trying to come up with, well, why would we see that? So that's the first case where you had, in essence, the, the history of economic thought is, 
the graph and the, and, and the regression came before the theory. And so they started to do two things. They started to try to come up with a story to explain why you saw that. And then also said, well, I wonder if that works in another country. Oh, I wonder if that works with price inflation rather than wage inflation. And they discovered, they, they discovered good stuff in the second case. They discovered that that did work in other countries, and it worked with prices as well as wages. But it turned out it only worked as long as people's expectations were constant. And we didn't really have that worked out very well until Ned Phelps and Milton Friedman, both within a couple months of each other, published work that showed that when expectations changed, those, that Phillips curve doesn't stay in place. But we spent a decade thinking, thinking somehow that we had a view of what the world works. We'd felt out only one part of the elephant. We hadn't, in fact, gotten a full grasp of, of what that relationship between inflation and unemployment was. And it took us decades, really, to get there. And when people tell you, by the way, I will say, say in response to Jack, he says, R.I.P., it's not dead. It's still in people's heads. Okay? Should it be dead? Well, I don't know if I'd say it should be dead. What I would say is it gets used badly by lots and lots and lots of people. Why? Because they don't have the model and theory in their head that can explain why that would be a stable relationship upon which you could make decisions about policy. Because, frankly, that theory has turned out not to be very good. And we learned that, we've learned that over the last 60 years. That doesn't make it dead. It just makes it not terribly useful. So I hope you've enjoyed this. Thank you, for, thank you for listening today. Thank you for being my classroom on the air. Um, sometimes I get to do this. And just thank you once more for all the great questions that came in. Wyatt, we're glad you're back from vacation. Thank you for your time and efforts today as well, and the good music too. And we'll talk with you next week here on the King Banyan Show on Business 1440. We're here with another satisfied JTR Roofing customer. What did your home need? We needed an exteriors update. We needed roofing. We're here with another satisfied JTR Roofing customer. What did your home need? We needed an exteriors update. We needed roofing, siding, um, entry doors, and our storm doors replaced. Why did you choose JTR Roofing? After meeting with their sales team and looking at the products that we're offering, as well as the warranty, it was an easy choice to choose JTR. What did you think of the work JTR did? The job was completed in a timely manner. The crews were very professional, and the workmanship was outstanding. We didn't have any surprises along the way or on our final bill. JTR was very knowledgeable and made it very comfortable from start to finish. Our house looks great. We received multiple compliments from friends and family. I was 100% satisfied with the work from JTR. Go to JTRRoofingInc.com to set up your no-obligation consultation. That's JTRRoofingInc.com. Audiences everywhere are saying Uncle Tom is a must-see movie. Fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. Excellent. Breathtaking. A movie that is changing hearts and minds. I really feel inspired. We're going to put up statues because of what this film may do. An eye-opening masterpiece of the real history of America. They want to cover up history. I didn't study that kind of stuff when I was in history. They are actively learning their history wrong. Why have you hidden this from me? Starring Larry Elder. And Uncle Tom is somebody who has sold out by embracing the white man. Candace Owens. I'm a black female. I should be at the top of the progressive stack. Brandon Tatum. They believe that I want to be accepted in the white community. Kind of like the house Negro back in slavery. And Herman Cain. As my late grandfathers used to say, I does not care. These are the voices of the movie Uncle Tom. Get your copy today at UncleTom.com. Use promo code Minneapolis to save 20%. Does your office need a little TLC? Do you notice your bathrooms are a bit smelly? Are the surfaces in your break room a little sticky? And isn't that the same coffee spill on the floor and chili splatter in the microwave from weeks ago? If so, I've got the solution. Hi, I'm Tasha, owner of Forever Cleaning. We're family-owned and offer affordable, reliable office cleaning all over the Twin Cities metro area. So if your office is screaming for help, 
Call me today. Let's get you scheduled for your free walkthrough so you can receive your free quote at 763-807-9817. If you mention this ad, you'll receive 15% off your first month of service. Again, call 763-807-9817. Or you can visit my website at forevercleaning.com. That's the number four, evrcleaning.com. Remember, forever cleaning is so thorough, you'll wonder if your mom snuck in overnight and cleaned. Your best 